What up, what up, what up, what up, what up, doe? And welcome back to the Black Fridays podcast. This is your favorite host, Denzel Turner speaking. And I'm back once again with another episode. This is episode 21. Yes, that's right. Black Fridays can officially go to the bar and order its own drink. Make some noise for that. Make some noise for that. Now, for all my people that's ever been up for a promotion on a job interview or just trying to convince somebody to go out with you in the DM, I believe that this is the episode for you, and I'm going to tell you why. Today's episode is all about self-advocacy and negotiations. So I had to bring in a negotiations expert, Ms. Rochelle Woods, who is the founder of Negotiation Solutions, which is a new negotiation consultancy business that is helping people be their own best self-advocate when they're in these negotiations. So, hey, I'm going to put it to you like this. If you like to win and be successful, make sure you continue to listen to the end of this podcast. But, hey, you know what? I don't discriminate. If you're a loser and you don't necessarily care about winning, you should probably check this episode out as well. It might do you some good, help build out your confidence, you know. Uh, You shouldn't be portraying yourself as a loser. But enough of that. Play my intro. Let's get into the episode. Welcome back to the Black Fridays podcast. You already know how we do. Been waiting on this one for a minute, so I'm glad we was able to finally make it happen. But I would like for you all to help me welcome to the podcast higher education leader and negotiation consultant and master self-advocacy artist, Miss Rochelle Woods. Thank you. Thank you. So how's it going? How you doing today? How's everything? I'm doing well today, actually. Doing well. A little busy with work, but that's life. Of course, of course, especially when you high profile like yourself, I would assume that, you know, it comes with the territory. Medium, medium profile. (laughs) (laughs) So, Rochelle, you may not remember this. I don't know. You might. But I don't think you do. The first time that we met, how I got introduced to you, just to give people a little bit of background. When I was a young pup at the University of Michigan, I know that you were um, doing your thing in the OME office, doing a lot of great things for student organizations and the uh, students of color like myself. And then I had came into your office. You had shared an office at the time with Janae. And then I, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, y'all had an office. I had came in there to visit Janae because I knew her was working on a few student programs. And then pretty much you had checked me. You was like, was like, uh, excuse me, can I help you? Like, do I know you? Like, where I ain't never seen you before. What you doing up in my office? And, and what do you want? And I'm like, oh, this lady's serious. She don't play around. I'm like, let me let me get my stuff together and make sure I say the right things or this might go left. So uh, that was my introduction to you. But then as I got to know you, um, got a chance to understand, like, you know, because I've seen you interact with other people before. And I'm like, oh, you know, she seemed like she really cool. And I came to your office that day and you weren't having it. You're like, nah, who is you? I need to know right now. Don't just be walking up in here on me. So that was <laughs> that is so funny. That is so me. <laughs> I don't remember that, but it does sound like something I would 
Sometimes people tell me stories about myself and I'm like, um, I'm so mean. <laughs> <laughs> that just comes to territory. Hey, you shouldn't just be letting nobody walk up in your office. I, I understood. <laughs> I definitely understood. But that was my introduction to you. Got a chance to know you and more about your work over the years. And um, definitely great to see all the things that you've been working on since University of Michigan. And I know you've been at um, a few different institutions and been doing a lot of great things and making change over there. So I just wanted to know as a get a little bit of background about you as a higher educational professional. When did you know that that was your calling and your thing? Like, when did you say, you know what, I really want to get this a try and I want to build my career in this? So I knew probably when I was about 19 or 20, but I ignored it. <laughs> so when I was an undergrad, I went to University of Illinois at Urbana campaign. And um, I started just stuff similar to what you were doing in undergrad. So working for some, you know, volunteering for some outreach programs. You know, we had an African-American cultural center. We had an office of minority student affairs. So I'm working minority student affairs. We had a special day of orientation. So I'm doing that. And I'm, you know, doing stuff through the multicultural center and volunteering with admissions and, you know, so doing all this kind of stuff and, you know, welcoming students when they come to campus, doing some recruiting with underrepresented um, students in Chicago, because I'm from Chicago. And I was like, oh my God, I love this. Like I remember, and I'm a, I'm a, a, you know, most people hate public speaking. I love a crowd. Like I love a crowd. This was probably the age that I discovered it. So I'm like going in front of these parents and students talking about my undergrad and, you know, people are like, oh, I want to go, you know, whatever. So I knew that I loved like, and then I just loved like, seeing the difference that you can make, particularly for a student of color that maybe doesn't know higher ed is for them. It's maybe first gen, low income, and to see like, this is what higher ed did when it was doing it for me at the time, right? But what it can do for other people and how it can open those doors. So I knew I wanted to do it when I was young. I knew many years before I did it, that that was what I was meant to do. But I just kept going around it like, no, nah, this other thing might be better. This other thing might be better. So it kind of landed me back here. And I was so happy when I first took that like full time position, um, just working with students. I felt like this is just great work. And that's when I said, OK, I just need to do I need to just pursue this because this is what this is what's meant for me. And that's dope that you was able to come back around to it. Like you say, even though you tried to run away from it, I went to when I was in undergrad, it was a lot of people who probably did the same thing, like didn't understand, like working with young people or helping people matriculate through their academic journeys or helping them get to the next level. Once they leave college, they probably really I mean, it's not the sexy career when it comes to the broader things that colleges kind of prepare you for, but it's definitely very necessary. And I'm thankful for people who do what you did, uh, Janae, and then other people who work with us as students because it made my experience that much more enjoyable because, I mean, Michigan is probably the most predominant PWC in the country. So uh, <laughs> it's not necessarily built for me or people that look like me. So you have to tailor and find your own experiences. And like I said, people like who do the work that you do, they help cater that experience and curate that experience for students like me. So definitely appreciative uh, for that. And before I forget, I got to get into my favorite portion of Black Fridays, which is called Freestyle Friday. Hey, 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 hey. 
So I heard that you had some bars. I'm not gonna say where I heard it from, but <laughs> I heard you had some bars from you know the grapevine. I I I need at least I need at least eight. I need at least eight There's bars. No bar. There's no bar. <laughs> you gotta give us a poem, something, some poem, a poem. <laughs> so I'm I'm messing with you. I'm messing. With you. you don't have to freestyle. You don't have to do a poem. Freestyle Friday is much simpler than that. It's just I do have a poem, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. All right. We, go ahead. Go gonna, ahead. Go ahead. We're gonna come back to the poem. So <laughs> it's a random assortment of questions. They're all about you, so you can't get them wrong, and you just gotta answer everyone and answer honestly. That's it. Okay. Oh. All, right. <laughs> all right. So let's start with this. Should be a layup, and I think I may know the answer to this, but I could be wrong. What's your favorite social media platform? Facebook. <laughs> hey, I figured it. I figured it was Facebook. Yeah, I figured it was Facebook. Oh, so I can't be on Snapchat and all of those. <laughs> so I don't have time. I'm barely on LinkedIn. <laughs> I can't be on Twitter because I'll get. I'm too. I'm too. I'm actually too witty for Twitter. And I'm not joking when I say. And I have a smart mouth and I'm kind of mean, so I, I would get fired if I was on Twitter. So that is why I refuse to get on Twitter. Uh, what's the most random job you ever had? The most random job I ever had was cleaning apartments. Um, in between uh, semesters, I found out there was a job that you could get and it pay at the time. Keep in, keep in mind, at the time, minimum wage was like $450, $475. And you could get a job cleaning apartments for like $10 an hour. And I was poor. So I used to have this job like for, for working for realty companies. One of my college friends got me into a cleaning apartments in between semesters or in between, you know, like lease time. That's dope. So did that keep you on campus? Like, was it a summertime thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always would have like two or three or four jobs. So that would just be one of my jobs. So, yes. That that reminds me of me. I don't know if you remember. It's like a big electricians conference that was in Ann Arbor at uh, on Michigan. I don't campus remember that. I did that for like two summers just because the pay was so crazy. It was like for a whole week. And yeah, that I had that on top of like two or three other jobs just just to have some money in my pocket. Mm-hmm. What's are you a morning or night person? Night. I'm a night person. So you, like I come alive at like I don't care how sleepy I am during the day, right around 8 p.m. Not only do I come fully awake, but I like start feeling amazing. Like I feel so good between like 9 p.m. and like 1 a.m. Like I'm like happy and peaceful and just alert. It's amazing. What's the latest you ever stayed up? Oh, I can stay up all night. I oh, mean, wow. I could, uh, and during the pandemic, it got bad because, you know, you didn't have to get up in the morning to go to work. You just roll out of bed and come get on Zoom. Mm-hmm. So mm, I, I I will say I routinely stay up till probably three in the morning. OK. OK. Well, shout out. Shout out to being a night owl. And uh, who's your biggest cheerleader? Who would you say is your biggest cheerleader? Me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with that 
that answer. I mean, I have a lot of, you know, good friends and people who love me and support, but I'm going to say I'm my own biggest cheerleader. You know, people always say, you know, you hear people say like, you know, most people, you know, you're your own biggest critic. I'm my own biggest critic. I am not my own biggest critic. I feel like let the world, the world is going to tear you down. The world is going to critique you for everything. You're not going to look right. You don't sound right. You, you're not smart enough. You don't have enough education stuff in the right places. Like I, I try to give myself gentle, positive messages of love and support. There we go. That's, that's what we need to hear more of. And I need to know a song you have on repeat. Is it, are you listening to like the futures, the little babies, the Ari Lennox? What you listening to right now? What you got on repeat? Okay, so I mainly listen to a lot of old songs, um, but since the Super Bowl, so I am a super like old school West Coast hip hop fan. So what I have had on repeat lately is the Chronic album, Trey's the Chronic album. I love that album. Like I know I could recite every word of that album. That's what's up. We'll take it. You're not you're not cripping, are you? <laughs> No. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I just <laughs> and by that time, let's be clear, they were they were fake faking gang affiliation because they was all rich by that time. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to first thank you for engaging my shenanigans. You successfully passed Freestyle Friday. So shout out to you. Thank you. And now I wanted to get into one part that you had talked about in terms of who is your biggest cheerleader. And you talked about being that cheerleader for yourself. I want to talk about self-advocacy. And then uh, I know that you have a lot of experience in this and then wanted to ask in general, how did you be able to get to that point of being your best self-advocate? Was that something that was always in you or were you able to learn from different experiences? How did you get to that point? So a combination of things. I mean, the first thing is it, it is my natural disposition. So I'm not going to front and be like, I learned it. I learned how to do it well, <laughs> but it is my natural, you know, like I was one, I was one of those kids that um, I seriously think my mom is still traumatized from raising me um, because I was just one of those kids. Like you ask me a question, I'm going to ask you a question back. You tell me to do something. I'm going to be like, why? That doesn't seem right to me. Why do we need to get in line? We're just going to recess. Right. And so I was always one of those. I mean, literally, you know, three years old. My, my preschool teacher and my mother, she was intimidated by me. So I never forgot that because when adults say it, I'm like, so anyway, um, so yeah, so I mean, I've, it's always kind of been my natural disposition. I think the older I got and sort of the further I got, particularly going to uh, predominantly what, well, probably started in high school, actually, because I went from pretty much living in an all black area, going to all black schools. We moved to the suburbs in high school. And that's the first time I really encountered racism. And I just remember different things happening in high school. Like one time this math teacher accused me of cheating. The, the guy was watching me the whole time. I also got a C on the test. I was a little bit offended, like, sir, you think I you think I cheated and got a C? Um, and so I remember him like making like, and he didn't like mark my my grade down, but he put a comment on there like he thought I had cheated, which is a small class. You're standing right in front of me. And I was pissed. And I, I went to him and I was like, are you accusing me? Like, what does this comment mean? Are you accusing me of cheating? He was like, I'm not accusing you of cheating. I think you cheated. And I was like, you were watching me the whole time. 
So I asked my mama to come up there. Now keep in mind, he didn't do anything to my grade. He didn't, he didn't try to do a disciplinary action against me. Try to accuse me of cheating. I made my mama come up there. And you know, my mama didn't want to come to school, but she was like, all right, I'll come up there if you want me to. You know, so I made this whole big thing about it. And I've so it kind of went from there. I can tell you 30 of those types of stories. I bet he never accused me of cheating again. Um, but so I've always been like that. And also because, you know, I have a strong personality. I always wind myself up in some trouble from, the, you know, from even the time I was like a little kid. And then I had to get myself out of it, you know, because also sometimes when you're an outspoken, pers- outspoken person, people will then target you. Um, and so I think I just was kind of always in a position where I had to advocate for myself. I can't say I was always good at it. And then when I started working with students, um, it kind of becomes a, a necessity. And again, working at predominantly white institutions, students come into your office all day long telling you things that are happening to them. Um, something their professor said, or it's just a program they want to get into and they don't know how, or, you know, how do they, what do they do when they interview for a job? Or how do you follow up with someone you want to connect with as a mentor? So all of that is self-advocacy. And so, you know, I, not just me, but, you know, people who you, you mentioned, like Janae, Vita, Nita, Courtney, you know, who worked in OAMI, that was a lot of what we did, you know, was really trying to figure out how to help students advocate for themselves, right? Because at that point, I can't, I can't do this for you. I can tell you how to do it and what to do. And I think it's just made such a huge difference for me and for other, other people who I've mentored, just being able to speak up for yourself and, and also just work on your own behalf. Like, I also feel like, like as a Black person, in particular, like, you're always dealing with some sort of racism, hidden or open, um, is just there. It's ubiquitous. And people do not treat you in the same way. You cannot assume that you're going to be treated fairly. And so you just have to advocate for yourself. Yeah. And I, I think that what really turned the tide for me, speaking of being at Michigan and for me being an undergrad, was I had a career counselor or a guidance counselor, whatever you call them, that literally told me I um, graduated in communication studies. But before I got into the program, they were pretty much telling me like, hey, man, it's a wrap. I don't think you about to get in this program because you don't qualify because of X, Y and Z. And yeah, we let's find you something else to do. And let's let's get you uh, this general studies degree. And that was when I had to like the it, the flip switch to my head. Like I can't. No, nah, that's I know I can get in this program. I got to, you know, get in my bag and make this happen for myself, because clearly she ain't no help. She ain't going to be able to help me and she don't see it. So I got to go figure this out on my own. So I think that was an opportunity for me to learn self-advocacy. And I wouldn't say that I'm like the most outspoken person. I'm still learning. Like, how can you stand up on the table and get on your say what you want about these people? Get on your Kanye, get on your Donald Trump, because whatever, no matter right or wrong, they believe in whatever it is that they're talking about and they believe in themselves. So how do you incorporate some of that, stand on the table, talk your stuff and and be confident and proud in things that you have uh, accomplished. So I wanted to ask if you had any tips for people who may not be the best at that, but let's say, you know, you are matriculating through education or if you are um, looking to get a promotion or early in career, how do you start to advocate for yourself? 
Well, the first thing is don't accept no for an answer. Like, I'm just not a person that has really ever accepted a no. I'll, I'll accept a no if I've been told no, like, a bunch of when people say like if you've been told no to wait till you've been told no three times three times may not even do it for me um so i don't accept no for an answer and i don't mean that i badger and harass people although sometimes i may i mean i'm going i'm going to keep going so let's take the example that you gave when i was in high school i had a high school counselor that told me don't even go to u of i because i wasn't going to graduate what are you basing this on, ma'am? <laughs> of course I went, I graduated, did well, got into a PhD for, you know, whatever, right? But, you know, people are going to say whatever. I didn't just not apply, you know? And so um, I think there's always another route and people have to be persistent in figuring out what is that other route? Because sometimes it really is a no. So let's say you would have applied to communication studies and it really was a no, well, you can always go to that department and say, and I'm just using this for an example, can you tell me why I didn't get in? They're going to tell you maybe it's your grades. Maybe this essay was poor. Maybe you didn't get your recommendation letters in on time. I mean, you know, whatever. Then you can address those things and, you know, you can move forward with it if it's still something you want to do. Or maybe you look at it and you say, eh, communication studies, maybe that's not it, but I'm still not going to get a degree in general studies. I'm going to pursue this other thing that's similar. So to me, it's like finding those alternative paths and also talking to people. If you're up for a promotion, if you don't get the promotion, no one's happy about that, right? Like most of the time, people are going to be upset. They feel rejected. And a lot of times what people do is withdraw. And, I, and I'm guilty of this too. Except I get mad. It depends on your, your, your disposition. You might withdraw in sadness and, you know, in helplessness, or you might withdraw in anger, but still withdraw. A lot of times people will withdraw. Well, I deserve that. Da, 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 I didn't get it. Or I'm sad they overlooked me, whatever. But in fact, what you should be doing is going to ask, tell me why. Tell me why. Not in a combative way, but tell me more about what you were looking for in this person that I didn't have, um, you know, tell me some areas that I could, that I could improve. Is there a reason why you did not think um, that I was ready for this position? Based on that, you can make another decision because sometimes maybe it's just, you don't, you don't fit what they're looking for, but you could be perfectly qualified and you could get that same job at another organization, especially in this job market, um, making more money. So that's number one. So you, you might be able to get what you want, but you have to go to another place. Um, but also like be, be, being willing to take the feedback. So I supervise, got about 10, 11 direct reports and I got about almost 40 indirect reports right now. And actually most of them are good because the people who aren't good aren't, aren't don't work in them all. So, <laughs> so, you know, there are, and, and there are times that people want promotions, but I don't want to promote them, you know, and very rarely has someone ever come and asked me why, but I would tell them. I absolutely, and in the few cases where people have, I absolutely have told them, this is why, and this is what you need to do. Now, if someone tells you that and you're not willing to do it, then that's probably not going to be for you. Um, but I think it's having those conversations because sometimes also, especially when we're at work, we're working hard. 
we think, oh, we're working hard, but you might not be doing the things that your supervisor um, or your supervisor's supervisor or the person who leads the organization value because people value different things. So if you're doing things, you could be really working hard. And this one was a, this, this one was probably the hardest thing for me to learn personally as a professional was you could be working very hard and doing work that's important, but if your boss does not value it, it doesn't matter. They're not going to promote you. You know, they're not going to promote you. They're not going to see you in a leadership role. So that's just a few of the things. But I just say, don't say no. Keep going. Do some research. Find some alternative paths. Like, keep going. Because the main thing is just, like, who is, there, there is no person who, who out here who could tell me what I can't do. You know, there just isn't. You might be able to tell me, no, at this moment in time in this particular setting, but you can't tell me what I can do. Like there's more than one college or university. There's more than one corporation. There's more than one, you know, whatever it is. So I'm just going to keep going and pushing. You make me want to pass around a collection plate. You're preaching right now. <laughs> You're preaching right now. And I, I definitely appreciate it because I have a lot of conversations with different people who think that they just deserve a promotion, whatever it is that they do for work. And they think like, well, I've been here long enough. It's time for a promotion. Right? They should just give me the promotion. And I mean, I know that it don't work like that, but that's not really everybody's psyche. And then also understanding what are the important things that I do need to be doing in order to move up to the next level. And then what are those things that my superior is invested in and interested in so that I can make those contributions and then have them see me in that light versus just here doing work because everybody doing work, quote unquote, right. doing work. <laughs> so what are you going to do that and set yourself apart? And then also, how do you make sure that you advocating for the things that you have done and being able to um, position those in a, in a certain light to help you out as well? So I had I got to ask you about this because you have a new negotiation consultancy business and we got to dig into that. And if anything, negotiation is one of the biggest forms of self-advocacy. So I want to know how did you decide to um, make that investment and then say, you know what, I want to be able to teach people how to negotiate better. Well, I won't make this another one of my long meandering stories, but <laughs> I I don't know why I really started negotiating. I just was, you know, what, what, I don't know if you remember Evan Young. Um, Evan Young was a dean in African-American studies, or he was a, like assistant director of African-American studies, and he was a dean in arts and sciences for a long time. And he came to me years ago when I first started working in Miami as a grad student. He was like, Rochelle, I have a position. I want you to be a liaison between this new grant-funded program and arts and sciences. And um, the pay range is like, you know, 14 to 17 per hour. What do you want to make? And I was like, 17 an hour. So, <laughs> so Really 20, but you know. Right, really 20, exactly. But I'm like, he's giving me a choice. I'm going to say the highest end of the race. And then I remember working at OAMI, somebody from OAMI sees us, they may remember this story, but um, so I was already working there, and then my boss at the time wanted me to work for like another, one of our outreach programs that doesn't exist anymore, but she wanted me to work for that program, and I remember seeing the timesheet, and I was making at the time, by that time I think I was making 18, because this was a couple years later, and timesheet for this new job says 17, and I was like, I don't, I don't make that anymore. (laughs) 
<laughs> and they were like, no, no, Rochelle, it's a different job. And this one pays 17. And I was like, that's not what I make anymore. So when you hired me, I already had another role in this office. I was making 1850. So I would expect to make that. And they were like, yeah, we can't pay you that. But the time I needed the money. So I, I took the 17. But guess what happened? About a month later, somebody wasn't doing their job right. And they had to come back to me to ask me to take on some more duties. And what's the first thing they said? We'll move you up to 1850. Now, had I not said anything, you know what I'm saying? Had I not set that, put that intention out there, put that, you know, what I wanted out there, I don't think I would have gotten it. And so it just kind of built from there. I can't say I started with a lot of skill. I was just asked for stuff. Oh, I want to do this. Da, 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 da. What do you think about that? Oh, you can't do that. Oh, why? You know, whatever. So it just started kind of organically when I was in my, you know, 20s, just for me to like, because I, again, I don't take no easily and I'm very persistent and I, I don't have a problem asking. And then it t- kind of turned into me coaching other people on how to ask. Because when other people see that you're like that, they're like, well, wait, I want to, I want to do that too. And so it eventually morphed into like a salary, asking about salary. Um, and so then I started being like, no, you need to ask for money. You need to do da, 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 da. And so I was just, I was just kind of going off of what I had done. And so it worked. And then I started taking, uh, I did a leadership institute in 2015. And that was when, and the woman was talking about negotiation. And I don't think I had even thought about what I was doing as like, negotiation, if that makes any sense. By that time, I had been coaching people on negotiation for years. I just, you know, I won't say I didn't know what I was doing because it was successful, but, you know, I was not trained. And so this woman came to this leadership institute I was in. She did some sessions on negotiation. First, I was like, what is she even talking about? And then I just became like obsessed with reading about and studying negotiation. And then I started using it at work, not about getting a raise, but about negotiating various terms of my job, budgets, staffing, resources for me and my staff, professional development. And then I started taking like classes. I started reading a lot. Then I took um, a Yale negotiation strategies class. I took Harvard master negotiation. I've taken like a bunch of negotiations. I have some stuff coming up in the spring. So I started taking like all, you know, like really like studying negotiation and I just got into it. And because by this time I'd helped like dozens and dozens of people, I had kind of become the go-to for all of my friends. And then I was becoming the go-to for my friends' friends because they're like, wait, you helped me negotiate. Let me let me send my friends to you. And so a lot of my friends had been like, you need to start a business. I'm like, I don't want to start a business. I like my free time. <laughs> my job is demanding. So I'm like, I don't have time for this. But well, finally, finally, finally about literally a month ago, <laughs> a friend of mine was like, you're doing a workshop. There's going to be a hundred some people there. You need to set up your negotiation business. So, um, and it's really just about coaching people. The majority of what I do is about when someone gets offered a job. So if someone gets offered a job, they get an offer. What do most people do still to this day? Someone makes you a job offer. You take it. People don't ask for more money. People don't ask. Now we're in a work from home setting. People don't negotiate a flexible work schedule. They don't talk about, you know, the budget or any of those things that might be important. They don't ask for professional development funds. Some people don't even ask for moving. 
So I basically talk people through all the things that they should be thinking about and asking about and basically how to be strategic, you know, when it's time for a job offer. If you could talk to why it's so important to equip our community, the black community with information like this, as far as negotiation, self-advocacy, in your opinion, why is it so important to, um, and I have a few thoughts on it, but of course I need to talk to the expert. Why is it important to, for our people to have these tools well, I mean, we a lot of times we end up in these workplaces where it's just it's not for us. I mean, it's just it's not set up for us. We are very much in the minority. I mean, when I'm at work, the number of times that I am in meetings where I'm the only black person um, and then I oversaw a re- renovation. And sometimes I'll be the only woman in the room, like the only the only black person and the only woman. And I'm not easily intimidated. But it can be intimidating. Um, And so it's like, one, you have to know how to navigate those settings to your advantage. And it's not always that people are so racist or that they're so sexist. I mean, sometimes they are, let's be real. But sometimes it's not even that they are. Sometimes people just don't know how to deal with you, right? They're used to dealing with people who look exactly like them. um, So they don't know how to deal with you. So they'll either try to not deal with you at all. or they'll try to deal with you the way that they think is going to be acceptable. And I am of the mind of you teach people how to treat you, whether that is, I forget who I stole that from, maybe Iyama or someone, but, you know, whether it be at work or whether it be, you know, at home. And one thing that anybody will know if they're dealing with me in any sort of professional setting is, I'm not going to be ignored. I'm not going to be marginalized and you're not going to ignore my my concerns. And I think once you establish that, and it doesn't have to be in a rude way, you know, I was overseeing a construction project and this is one of them. I'm the only black person in the room. Um, sometimes the only woman, if not one of maybe two women in these rooms of 20, 30 people planning a project. And I didn't know nothing about construction. So, so they're really looking over me right now, asking questions and people have wagging like they don't have to answer them. And one time, I won't say I shut down a meeting. I'll just say I wouldn't let anyone move forward until my question was answered. And I was very pleasant, but I was like, yeah, but I asked blah, blah, blah. So can you answer blah, blah, blah? And so people kept trying to blow me off. And I was like, well, so-and-so, can you answer it? Okay, well, so-and-so, can you answer it? Well, so-and-so, can you get me that information? And um, eventually, and they were kind of looking at me like, is she really not going to? They really thought they were just going to shut me down. I, I needed the information. I wasn't going to let it go. I, I had already, you know, I'd already sent a couple of emails and we got in a meeting together, like, come on now. And it was like one of those watershed moments where one, someone got me the information finally. So that's number one, because they saw that I was not going to let it go. And I was not in any way embarrassed. We, we were not moving forward with this meeting. So I get the answer to my question. And in the meeting, I didn't work for any of those people, nor did they work for me, but I was representing the unit that I worked for to make sure the renovation was for the unit that I worked for. So I had to make sure that it was right for us. And you're going to give me this information. So they got it to me. 
But after that, it really turned the tide of how they interacted with me. And, I, and these were mainly all white men. I have any problems with them after that. They would come to me and be like, oh, Rochelle, come over here and look at this. They gave me a hard hat. I could walk in that construction. I knew all those construction guys. I knew the foreman. I would walk in there whenever I wanted to. They would come to me because they also saw me as a person who would help them solve problems. So sometimes it's just like breaking that barrier right and, and just being willing to assert yourself and establish who you are and people will treat you accordingly not always people still will test you but people will a lot of times treat you accordingly but i just think it's so important you can't like we're not invisible right like when you're in a lot of the work environments that we're in as black people you're not invisible people can see other people say they don't see color if you didn't see color you wouldn't have to say you didn't see color because when anything to say you didn't see so they see you but it doesn't mean that you're it's like you're hyper visible and invisible at the same time. And right. so you have to, you know, you can choose to kind of fade in the background and wait to be discovered. But to me, you also have to assert yourself in a positive, but direct way of, of letting people know that you're here because otherwise you're not going to get treated right at work. You're not, you're going to get passed over for not just promotions, but opportunities. Because sometimes there's all these opportunities to be involved in things that are going to enrich you um, professionally that may not make you any more money in the moment, but may give you more opportunities down the road. And so I just think it's just so important to really be like um, your own best advocate in your career, because no one else is going to discover you until you discover yourself. You know, like if, 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 and my boss is, is a black woman, although we're the predominantly white university and she recruited me here, but I advocate for myself with her. I, I love her. I respect her. She is an amazing leader, but I advocate for myself with her because I can't depend on her to know what my needs are professionally. I can't depend on her to assume she's going to know where I want to go with my career or what skills I want to learn, et cetera. So I even have to advocate for myself uh, with her, you know, even though she doesn't mean me any harm, she sees me, she cares about my career and my progress. I just think we have to be out here being our own best advocates. And the other thing is too, if the setting isn't working for you. And this is one thing your generation does know. If the, if the setting is not working for you, leave leave there's too many jobs out here so if the setting is not working for you you may not want to leave you may have seen your future there but go somewhere else because you can be loyal to an organization but they are never going to be loyal to you oh well, i wish i had the, the burr, 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 burr. <laughs> <laughs> you just you you shut it down with with that statement right there and it's so true and it, i think it's very it's timely for me and i'm sure a lot of people listening just in terms of thinking about career where do you want to go next what's what's the big picture for you and being able to understand like that last part that you said like hey if this is not working for me at the moment, then, you know, make it work for you and then find a different lane and, and go somewhere else. And then also by making sure that we're equipped with this information, hot self-advocacy, negotiation and things like that, that makes you much more compelling, especially as a black person in corporate America, where chances are you're going to be one of few um, and, and not really and not one of many in most cases. So definitely got to keep those things in the back of our minds when it comes to 
advocating for yourself for career and what do you want to do in career overall? So yeah, that, that was amazing. I can't even say nothing else about that. And I got to ask for the people, they just heard all this amazing wisdom from you and learn about your experience and got this free game. Where can they get in touch with you if they want to utilize your negotiation services, if they want to learn more about you as a professional or connect, what's the best way to get in contact with you? They can email me. They can either email me at my Gmail um, which is Rochelle418 at Gmail, or they can email me at my um, business email, which is info, I-N-F-O, at negotiation solutions, with an S, solutions, negotiation solutions, one word, dot org. Or they can just slide into my DMs on Facebook. A lot of people reach out to me on Facebook because I post about negotiations. So, um, so yeah, so you, they can email Rochelle418 at gmail.com or... Info, I-N-F-O, at Phenomenal. So make sure you tap in with the expert and reach out if you're trying to get to that. If you're trying to elevate in career, money, promotion, life in general, you got to be able to advocate for yourself and then also negotiate and, or, in order to get better outcomes. So I got to thank you for taking the time coming on the podcast today. Appreciate your wisdom, years of experience in the game, and then also just doing what you do in general. And like I said earlier on, when I was an undergrad, looking out for people who look like me and then uh, making sure that that overall college experience is is um, productive and conducive to them and, and curated so that people, Black students feel wanted and feel belong or feel like they belong. Definitely grateful for, for you and everything you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Of course. And everybody listening, you know how we do Black Fridays. Make sure you tune in next week. And we